Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. We're on Zoom as well. Adam Mustertiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Joined by Jake Shapiro. Jake, it's great to see your face. Uh, I like the, the facial hair situation you got, what you're working with over there. Yeah, I've got a goatee. Uh, I wish I could say it was planned in ordinance with Michael Jordan, the goat, uh, for the last dance. But it was just, hey, I've got two months. There are no women around except for my mother. Uh, let's just see how this thing goes. And it is terrible. Uh, I got roasted on Twitter earlier today saying that the mustache and the, the beard are desperately trying to meet, but it's just not happening yet. Uh, it, it's, it's a total disaster over here, but thankfully I'm just going to keep letting it go. And maybe by the time this quarantine's over, I'll have a full beard like you, Adam. But uh, hopefully not. Hopefully, because that's going to be a couple years from now. So hopefully we get some buffs football, buffs basketball before then. Exactly. Well, I've got to know before we get into some men's basketball topics, this is going to be a men's basketball only show. You were uh, one of our beat writers uh, for the men's basketball program this past year. I've got to know what, what is the day in, in the life of Jake Shapiro look, uh, you know, since you returned from covering the PAC 12 tournament in Vegas these last couple months, well, what's an average day for you? What would, I would imagine there's no alarm going off in the morning, right? No, I've actually been up since 9 PM last night right now. Uh, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Adam knows how crazy I am, but like, that's just, that's kind of normal for me. Um, it's funny cause the quarantine started for me while I was in Vegas. So I have like a precise date of when this thing started like for real. And it was the day after I got back from Vegas. Cause I did a spot for uh, ABC seven and I stopped by Chris uh, and Tyler over at Blake street to just hang out and grab a beer real quick. That since that day, it's been 54 days since then. I have not seen a single person outside of my family except for when Tyler came and delivered Blake Street to my house. So have not seen anyone. Uh, a lot of those days, quite honestly, I hit top rep in 2K. Uh, I am literally playing 2K 14 to 16 hours a day. And that might sound insane, but I'm actually like really, really good at 2K. Like I qualified for the league two different times. Uh, so this is something that I was actually doing before people don't know about because I don't like talking about my it's weird because people say I'm selfish, but I don't actually talk about myself on Twitter. I just kind of boast a lot about random things that I'm doing, but I, I don't actually talk about wh who I am as a person. But that's one of the things I actually do a lot. So I've been playing a ton of 2K, just trying to get better as a player, kind of like working on my skills. Uh, I practice a lot. I shoot a lot. I do all that stuff. Um, uh, I've been hanging out with my little brother, been listening to a ton of music. I'm a big music guy. Thank God the Strokes released a new album. Uh, been growing out this facial hair. And uh, I mean, like, that's pretty much it. I've written a couple articles here and there, both for you and uh, about the Rapids for the Denver Post. But it's been pretty, pretty dry. I mean, like, only sports entertainment going on here besides 2Ks. I've been watching old Tour de France stages. I think I've watched every single Alpduez stage uh, over the course of history. Uh, I watched, actually, uh, some stuff from uh, last year's tour, uh, which got shortened. Uh, I don't know if people even know this. Last year's Tour de France got shortened. The last three mountain climbs actually got shortened to one because there was a landslide. So it'd be like if you were watching the Super Bowl and all of a sudden in the first quarter they said, all right, we're going to go to the fourth quarter and there's five minutes left in the game. So, like, they literally just canceled half of the last two stages of the Tour de France. So uh, I'm desperately missing that. Uh, and th uh, unfortunately, the Tour de France got canceled this year, which is one of my favorite things to do in the summers to watch that. And uh, I'm just kind of bumming like it sucks because I think a lot of people that listen to this uh, in Reed Buff Stampede, not only do they, you know, 
live and die by the buffs, but their main hobby is sports. I work in sports and my hobby is sports and music. When I am not at a sporting event, I'm at a concert. So I literally have had no life for 55 days and it's been really weird. Uh, I've gone insane a little bit, a couple of weeks here and there, uh, because I'm trying to, I mean, I've got Korean baseball on, like I'm, I'm just fixing, man. I just need a fix. Uh, and, uh, the darts, 301, 501, uh, the virtual darts and the Zwift bike competitions weren't doing it for me. Yeah, I, I feel you. My mood is all over the map these days. Uh, I miss people. This is tough. And so hopefully uh, this, you know, talking about CMN's basketball provides a little bit of relief for some people out there that are jonesing for it. Obviously, you talked about things that have been canceled, the NCAA tournament's canceled. And it really, it's hard to get closure on this past season, I, I know after you got back from Vegas, you wrote a couple of pieces uh, in your story titled Colorado's Collapse Leads to Bigger Questions. You wrote, the Buffs lost their heart, CU lost its recipe for success, and Tad Boyle may have lost the team. Do you have, going back to that, that five-game losing streak, the, the more you've thought about it, uh, do you have any idea being around the team as close as you were, what, what exactly happened? Yeah, I mean, I know a couple of people asked some questions on the board that you're going to kind of get to later, but uh, there were some rumors about some stuff, personal stuff going on between the guys. Um, but I want to go back to a couple conversations I've had with people around the program around that time uh, in mid-March. And what was fascinating to me was that this was not the first time, this is not the second time, but the third time a Tad Boyle team has collapsed like this. And it was kind of understandable the first time because the ski booker was a knucklehead. I mean, I love the ski booker, but he could be qualified as a knucklehead sometimes. Uh, and he divided the team between a ski booker's guys and Josh Scott's guys. A couple years later, uh, Xavier Johnson kind of had more reign over the team than Derek white. Cause he was only a one year player. And a lot of guys kind of followed that knuckleheaded route instead of Derek white. And, you know, you talk to people within the program even today and there's some, resentment and remorse for Xavier Johnson over that season because of how good Derek White was and it ended up with them falling apart in an NIT game in Orlando because it looked like they had already given up after they had lost in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, this season kind of felt a lot like that except there was no true breaking point and it sucks because you know you, you always think this uh, after the fact you're always thinking hey you never know when the high point is until after you've reached the high point. The high point of late December to early January of Seamen's basketball this year was just as good as any high point they've had in the Tad Boyle era. The collapse was worse than the Spencer Dinwiddie ACL injury because it wasn't some, you know, godly act that felt so like, why is this happening to us? Why is this Buffs thing happening to us? This was completely done within house. Like the Buffs completely beat themselves up. Uh, the question mark though really is what happened I don't have a clear answer of what happened, but there had to have been something uh, that happened dramatically between the team's makeup because, you know, I, 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 I'm alluding to those conversations, but I had two specific conversations that stick out. One was what I was just talking about where this is not the first time this has happened with Tad Boyle and people kind of remembering that and what the hell just happened here. Can Tad actually lead these kids? Can he connect with these kids? This has been an ongoing issue with, with Tad Boyle because, you know, he's an older guy. The players joke and call him Dad Boyle. The second conversation I had was with someone that had pretty close connection with McKinley Wright right after the season fell apart. So literally right after they had lost in Vegas, who was telling me that, McKinley and him were texting 
and McKinley was just so distraught about what happened and he just kept going over and over saying I was trying so hard to get this thing back right like this wasn't a lack of an effort from me like I know things were wrong I knew things were wrong I wanted to fix them I tried to fix them but there was nothing that I could do and if you watch that game over again which was the last basketball game since I mean it's the last basketball game that's happened professionally or collegiately uh I, I haven't watched it over again, but if you watch it over again, I'm sure you would see just a team that didn't want to be there. And maybe that's partially because of the environment, but it looked like this team coasted because they had already punched their ticket. They had already accomplished. They would hit the NCAA tournament. They had already accomplished the fact that they got ranked. They had already accomplished all the things they wanted to. So they were just kind of waiting for March to happen, but then Vegas happened and they didn't really know what was going to happen post Vegas. So I could kind of write off Vegas and be positive and say, Hey, like, you know what? They didn't even know if they were going to play again and they didn't end up playing again. But I just don't understand as an athlete, how you could show up to any competition, whether that be in the weeks leading up to the Pac-12 tournament or in the Pac-12 tournament itself and just go, all right, we already did what we needed to do. Doesn't matter. Like it seemed like it didn't matter to them, whether that was in Utah or, you know, in that Pac-12 tournament. I mean, that Utah game was a disaster too. They, they blew so many chances to win that game. And, uh, I mean, they went from being a four seed to a nine seed in the course of two weeks. So uh, there was a pretty epic collapse, yeah. And, and it, it, it asks larger questions of the program and its leadership, whether that be from the administration to the coaching to the players themselves. But, I, yeah, there were definitely some ripples within the team from some of the stuff I heard. I just don't know the details of them. And I'm sure the detail, and I'm literally alluding because I don't even know, uh, the details are probably not that dramatic. And it's just something that was as simple as, you know, it's not someone's girlfriend, but something, you know, something happened between, you know, somebody wanted the ball more, somebody felt slighted, something like that. And, you know, another thing no one talks about is how poorly Deshaun Schwartz played down the stretch. Sean Schwartz was their best player, or was their, well, not their best player, but the most key player all year. You mentioned you know, March 11th, just a crazy day. Did the players have any sense going into that game against Washington state that it was going to get canceled? Was there a feeling that they were probably uh, playing an exhibition game at that point? You know, they had as much information as I did. And so did Tad Boyle. And so did everyone else. But the information I had, I walked into T-Mobile arena with my colleague, Chase Hall, who was here at Buff Stampede in uh, in Will Whalen, who's been a contributor of Buff Stampede for years. Uh, and, we stopped by the forever buffs tailgate. Uh, we were late to the game because my flight took forever. Um, and we stopped by while the game prior was going on. And I was talking with Ben Broussard who just left CU and we'll get into that in just a bit. Cause that's a big loss. But, uh, we stopped by that forever buffs tailgate. We were hanging out with people and I actually ran into Lauren Huggins, uh, who's a former CU women's basketball player. And I kind of talked about the situation with her about what your mental approach would be as an athlete going into a game like this knowing this might be your last game. And she said, you know, I would kind of approach this as a senior night. I'd give it my all, but it's kind of hard because how do you give it your all when you don't know if you're going to be playing 24 hours later and you need to have that in the reserve. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a brief conversation. We walk into the game. I run into Andrew Hobner, who I went to see you with, who covers uh, Oregon Ducks and the Oregon State Beavers in uh, Eugene. And he tells me, he goes, 
this is going to be the last basketball game. I, I've talked to Pac-12 people. This is going to be the last basketball game. And then I run into a senior member, the vice uh, senior member of the communication staff for the Pac-12, who basically said, this isn't day-to-day. This isn't hour-to-hour. This is minute-to-minute. I have no idea what's happening here. So the players knew as much as I knew, which was this was unlikely to continue, that the that any basketball is unlikely to continue. And if they played tomorrow, it was going to be in front of no fans, and there was going to be a huge asterisk on whatever happened. So even – if the Buffs thought they were playing more games, the whole thing had been cheapened already. The crazy thing is they go into the NCAA tournament, win a game or two. How you feel about that five-game losing streak, a lot of that is forgiven. They didn't get that opportunity. You wrote another article about that. And, and what, what are we going to look at this season as five years from now? Is it a failure? I think a lot of people won't remember the fact that they made it to the NCAA tournament, even though they didn't actually make it to the NCAA tournament. Cause it doesn't say that on basketball rec- reference. It doesn't mm-hmm. say that in the history books. Uh, I mean, the people that were paying attention, the same people that'll tell you that 2013, 14 team with Spencer Dinwiddie was amazing. And one of the best in CU history will tell you that this team was really good and was going to be in tournament. So the people paying attention, people that care are going to know that this team uh, made the tournament. And that's really all that matters with CU basketball. The further I've gotten along with this thing is, you know, you can only get so many people to care about CU basketball and you're going to be maybe on the national landscape for a minute here or there, but it's just not feasible to continue to be on the national landscape. So yeah, I mean, the people that are kind of supporting Tad Boyle are going to know he did a, a pretty good job getting them to the NCAA tournament again. Uh, it's unfortunate though, because their goal was sweet 16 and they never got to a chance at it. I mean, they, they, they did enough to give themselves a chance to get to the sweet 16. Granted, they made their path hard as hell, even though they had made it easier just two weeks prior. But you know, it's one of those things where I think that the people paying attention are going to know they made the NCAA tournament. That's the legacy of this team. But ultimately, if you look at it 50 years from now and you're looking at the CU Buffs basketball program and you're looking at the amount of front court depth they have going into next season, it's very possible they don't make the tournament next year. So you're looking at it as McKinley Wright, one of the best four-year point guards in the history of CU basketball, never made an NCAA tournament. Like that's, that's, on, the, that's on the cards now. And you're looking at it as, okay, CU basketball is possibly going to go on a six-year tournament drought if they don't make the tournament next year. Um, whether or not, you know, you, you count last or this past year or not. So, uh, I mean, the history books aren't going to be kind to what just happened, um, sadly. Which is, which is really sad because, again, this team was ranked just outside the top 10 for a brief period, and they deserved it. I mean, there was a period of time where this team could have beaten any team in the country, and they faltered, and it just goes to show you what Tad Boyle says all the time. Play every game as your last, you know, all that coach's cliche stuff that every game matters. Because if the Buffs went out on the note of winning just three of their last five games and dropping two like they probably should have, all of a sudden we're going – wow, what could have been? This was a Sweet 16 team. We can't wait till they're back next year. I can't imagine what the season ticket hype is like right now. It can't be that that much, Uh, just the the way they went out. I mean, I I, I talked to people like my dad, who's a casual CU fan. He he doesn't care, you know, what right now, what CU does next year. He's looking forward to seeing Kansas here, which is the, the casual CU fan thing, you know? Yeah. McKinley Wright wanted to test the NBA draft waters. That would have been a great opportunity for him. My expectations all along were that 
he was going to come back for a senior year. It's a process we saw George King go through. Tyler Bay went through it last year, and obviously he's going through it again. Uh, Ted Boyle said he expects Tyler Bay to stick in the draft. In fact, I, they don't have a scholarship for him anymore. They've filled those spot, that, that spot up. But McKinley Wright still got that scholarship open, and I'd, I'd have to assume – even more so with everything going on, that he would come back. Is there any rumblings or any concerns CU fans should have in terms of McKinley Wright's status uh, looking ahead to, to next season? On the off chance that Tyler Bay would come back, they'd make a scholarship available for him. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's, that's true. That, that's, not, that's not a worry, but he's not coming back. Right. Uh, McKinley Wright is coming back, I can say almost with 100% certainty, unless somebody absolutely falls in love with him, which is going to be very hard to do over a Zoom conference call. I mean, I've tried to fall in love with many a girl on the internet and it just hasn't happened well for me. Uh, so I, I just don't believe that someone's going to fall. I mean, Hey, I faked my height on the internet and McKinley Wright might be able to do that fool a team, but I don't think that's going to happen for him. Uh, the truth comes out eventually. And I don't think a team's going to throw a $5 million commitment at him uh, without getting the measurements. So uh, yeah, I mean, McKinley's great and he's going to come back. Uh, he deserves, he belongs at CU. He deserves a chance to, to write his legacy at CU and, uh, have a great year. Uh, it's going to look a lot different for him in terms of lineup and what he's counted on doing next year uh, compared to what he's done the last few years because they don't have that front court. Uh, he's going to need to rebound the ball. Like It's not going to be like, hey, he rebounds. That's awesome. It's going to be like, no, you need to rebound the ball because there's going to be times out there where they literally don't have a center or a power forward out there. Like It's going to be Horn playing the five for minutes at a time, which is not going to be good. Um, so, or straighting playing the five. So yeah, like it doesn't, sound like, it doesn't sound like you have much faith that another off season Dallas Walton will be back to what we saw before the most recent ACL. I think Dallas Walton's going to be fine. I just don't think, I mean, I think Dallas Walton gets misremembered for being a lot better than he was his freshman year. Because the DeAndre of, Aiden game. Yeah. That right. Sticks right. in people's memory. Yeah. And he was awesome. And I've talked to Dallas about that. And you know what? Dallas is going to be really good for 15 minutes a night. Like Dallas is going to be a good player, uh, but you can't run Dallas and Evan for extended minutes together because of the foul trouble. Both of them get into Tad Boyle is going to have to split minutes between the two of them and maybe only overlap them for periods of time. The, the buffs are going to go from a team that ran two bigs, one, uh, one wing and two guards or two wings and one guard to a team that runs two guards, two wings, and one big, like most college teams. The problem is how the hell are you going to keep up with that USC big that they got? How the hell are you going to keep up with UCLA the way they play now under Mick Cronin? Arizona's always got size. Oregon's always got size. So their conference schedule starts to worry me a little bit. That's one of the biggest benefits they had this past season is that they were so big that they could play up to any single team in the country because they were big enough. The only teams that really beat them were teams that were out athletic, had the size, but they were better athletes and they were playing at home, Kansas and Arizona. Every other team they competed with until that collapse at the end of the year. Yeah. Speaking of McKinley Wright, named the team MVP on Wednesday night for the third straight time. Uh, if he comes back and we, uh, as we mentioned already, assume that he will, you got to think that he's going to probably win that a fourth time if he stays healthy. Um, but uh, quite a career he's had. Uh, were you surprised at all with any of the transfers out of the program? Obviously, Dalen Koontz lands at Northern Colorado. Jacob Dumbeck is transferring to Hartford. No word yet where walk-on Frank Ryder is going to transfer to. Not a huge miss, but you talked about the, the lack of big man in, in the program. Do you think Frank Ryder might have gotten some minutes next Frank year? Frank Ryder would have played. Frank Ryder would have played. 
Um, and I think there's a chance that he still comes back as a walk-on. I, I don't think that that's out of the cards yet. Uh, but he was good enough to play Division One college basketball before his heart problems. Uh, so he would have played here as a walk-on for sure. Um, and he's got to know that as he goes into the transfer market. The problem is, uh, you know, he might get free education instead of being a walk-on. Uh, I mean, his problem has no, his family has no problems with money, but you know, it's, it, that's a lot of money to be putting away. Um, you know, uh, you, you and you and Chase and a lot of people were really high on Dalen Koontz and he had a nice little stretch uh, at the end of his true freshman season. What, what you talked a little bit about Schwartz's issues. What, what happened with Koontz? He had one of the worst seasons I've seen. Uh, he just, I think he got off to a bad shooting start and it just completely ruined his confidence. Um, but yeah, that him transferring surprised me in the sense that I wasn't, I wouldn't have been surprised if any other person that had that season would have transferred. Uh, but it surprised me because of both the legacy of Denver East kids and local kids at the University of Colorado, him following in the footsteps of Dom Collier, Chauncey Billups, all that stuff that was kind of brought in when he initially committed. But what was more surprising because of everyone has everyone can have a bad year. George King had a bad year. Xavier Johnson had a bad year at one point. Um, he had a really solid freshman year. People had so much hype about him coming into this year. Uh, he still had his fitness and his strength up. It was just, he, he couldn't shoot and it let him got him mentally. Maybe for him, you know, he figured the best thing to do mentally was change your scenery, which is something a lot of athletes need to do. And, and it works for them. Um, so I'm not going to fault the kid for that. I'm just disappointed because I really wanted to see Dalen Koontz in a Colorado uniform. And I thought he would have been a valuable contributor, but looking at the people they brought in, uh, Dalen Koontz might've been already recruited over given how poorly he had played this past season. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, though, after he sits out a year, because it doesn't sound like that uh, one-time transfer rule is going to come into effect, especially for this upcoming year. Uh, I'm going to get up to Greeley to watch him because I think he's going to ball out up at UNC. I think that's a good spot for his – his athleticism is just going to be on a different level than the guys he's competing with. Hey, the last time I said something good was happening with UNC, it was with their football program and their football coach soon got fired after that. So I'm not going to say that this time, even though I have that feeling. Tyler Bay, I mean, he leads the conference in rebounding, fifth in steals, seventh in blocks. The only Pac-12 player to rank in the top 15 of all three of those categories. Pac-12 player of the defensive player of the year. So much to replace there you know, how exactly how difficult is that? It's got to be by committee, right? Obviously not one guy is going to transfer in. How realistic is it that they can replace that and still have a team that, like you said, at times this past season could, could, could compete with anybody in the country. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Tyler's defense is their biggest problem. I, I mean, I think just you write off the fact that you're going to be worse defensively um, based on both size and how many fouls you have per game. So your aggression and the fact that your rebounding is going to take a hit that really doesn't scare me so much, especially because of, I guess the end of their season where they had like a couple games where they got out rebounded by a ton. Um, for whatever reason, that's not scaring me right now, even though it should maybe as we approach the next season, I'll talk about that a little bit more. What's kind of freaking me out is Lucas Seward and Shane Gatling were legitimate threats from the perimeter. Um, they were really good shooters, and Tyler Bay actually turned himself into a, a, a serviceable three-point shooter. Uh, Horn's got to be able to shoot threes. Clifford's got to be able to shoot threes. Bartholomew's got to be able to shoot threes. The latter two, you're asking two freshmen that have relied on their 
athleticism, uh, Bartholomew redshirt freshman, to get through their high school days. How many times have you seen freshmen that are highly recruited guys, big four-star guys, really be able to shoot? And the answer is very little. So you're asking guys to space the floor for McKinley Wright who needs to get inside on drives even though they can't really shoot or we don't know that they can shoot. And that's what scares me a little bit as well as the fact that, you know, Tyler Bay won't really be missed on offense that much, which is weird to say because his offensive production was really solid. Um, He was kind of a mess uh, this season on offense. Um, You just kept waiting for him to figure out how to be able to pass out of double teams. Um, You just kept waiting for him to figure out what to do when he put the ball down on the floor. He couldn't make decisions offensively. And I saw scouts kind of muddle their notes off that, but I guess you can play a style in the NBA where your guy doesn't need to touch the ball offensively, but just sit in the corner if you're not the guy in the pick and the roll. Um, Because his defense is, is great. And he can defend anybody one through five probably in the NBA and be okay if, you know, he gets that lateral quickness and strength up. The problem was his offense just was kind of a mess for the buffs and he just, he, he wasn't reliable. So in a way without Tyler Bay, they could get better offensively, but what's really bad is they don't have that perimeter shooting right now proven to open up for McKinley, Wright, Which is their whole offense. Like they have no other offense other than McKinley, Wright Get downhill and create some stuff. I mean, I'm still waiting on Evan Batty post playmaker, which I think is coming that would add a dynamic, but their offense goes from being one of the better offenses in the country at a point. It it was, I think a top 50 offense at one point going into that slump to being an offense that I have a lot of questions about. Where's their defense? You know, you lose one of the better defenders in the country and one of the better rebounders, but you still got Tad Boyle and Tad Boyle is going to coach the hell out of defense and rebounding. And even if they're undersized and undermanned, they're going to figure out a way to defense to, to do the defense and rebounding. Like they have enough athleticism. They have enough athleticism. The problem is they don't have that much size next year. You mentioned Jariah Horn transferring in from Tulsa. Volume shooter talking to everybody out at Tulsa. Uh, They said he was a big part of their success there, and he's a guy that's going to put up a lot of shots. Uh, Then you've got two of the Buffs 2020 signees that are four-star prospects, ranked among the nation's top 132. Dominique Clifford at 92, Jabari Walker at 132. Luke O'Brien finally earns a three-star. And then you've got Tristan Da Silva, more of an unknown coming in. I'm going to get your thoughts on those guys real quick. My, my thought, or it, thought is that this is a really good group. I love the versatility. Horn's got it. But, again, I just – Tad Boyle, I don't think, puts an, enough of an emphasis on shooting. And that's been kind of a, his MO on the recruiting trail since he got to – not to say that Clifford can't shoot and these guys can't develop, but – just once I would love to see them recruit just a pure knockdown shooter. It doesn't seem to be a priority for him. Yeah. He always goes with those, those athletic wings. And this mm-hmm. seems like a, a classic Tad Boyle class of just a bunch of guys between six, five and six, eight. I think a couple of them are even left-handed. Like Tad Boyle would literally have a whole team of six foot seven left-handed wings if he could, yeah, yeah. which makes literally no sense. But Hey, I'm the guy that on NBA 2k, when I'm running my own team, I'm just going to put five Giannis's on the floor and see what happens. Uh, granted he's the best player in the NBA right now. So it'd probably be okay. Um, whereas if you put five, uh, buddy healed on the floor, it's probably, I mean, he can shoot though. So maybe not, <laughs> um, about buddy healed, almost see you guy. Uh, I don't know if people know that story. I don't know if I should tell that story. 
Uh, I remember doing an interview with him. He seemed genuinely interested in CU after his visit, but I'm sure you've got some. Should I tell that story? More more dirt. Go for Um, it. Okay. So this is not a public, this has never been released to the public to the best of my knowledge. Um, Are we going to have an explicit uh, label on on this podcast, Jake? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Buddy Heald is on his official visit to the University of Colorado. Um, And Tad Boyle gave some of the stipend money out to the players to, you know, have a good time and make sure everyone was taken care of for the weekend, which is not against NCAA rules to give stipend money to your players so they can have food. Um, but you know, it just so happened that that was the weekend Buddy Heald was visiting. And, uh, this is a story I've been told years ago. So some of the details may be fuzzy, but, uh, they go out to a party um at one of the basketball houses uh and buddy has a great time uh and he gets up on a table and tells everybody under some uh pretenses that he is committing to the university of colorado and he can't wait to come here falls asleep doesn't really remember it next morning he gets waken up by uh, one of the women's basketball players says, congrats, congrats on committing to the university of Colorado. Uh, he's kind of with some people in that couch. Uh, he says, what? And you committed last night. You stood up on the table. He said, you're coming to the university of Colorado. I said, no, I didn't. And that was how buddy healed committed to the university of Colorado and then didn't 12 hours later. So th- that's the story I told, uh, you know, that that that's all hearsay and rumors because I can't fact check any of that. But hey, I thought I'd throw one fun one in the podcast from years and years ago that probably won't get me in trouble. So whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, what was your question again? No, you're good. On, on that note, I think we're gonna jump into the Buffs team. Uh, oh, I got you Wait. on the the kids they brought in. I've got some good stuff. Oh on yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, so Horn solid because they have a ton of shots that have left with Lucas Seward and Shane Gatling leaving. Uh, Deshaun Schwartz had been hesitant to take shots at times, especially because he got cold later on in seasons, uh, later on in the season. Uh, if Horn can just shoot a bunch, like that might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, they need someone to do that. Um, Dominique Clifford is an NBA player, like straight up. That's what I've been told um by some people with some really good eyes i've yet to see him play in person i've watched uh videos of him i've watched some live streams which i actually never do with high school players uh adam i normally let you take care of that Mm -hmm. and i just write things um and and use my sources but i've i've been really interested in dominique clifford i've gotten to know him a little bit um and there is a really palpable buzz so to speak around dominique clifford and uh, the people that I know have talked to some people in higher up circles that are NBA scouts or high level college scouts, and they are very, very high on Dominique Clifford, and they don't understand why it took CU so long to offer him and how nobody found him until after he had committed to CU. Uh, obviously, well, it was a, he had a growth spurt. He was six foot uh, the previous summer, right. And- yeah, it was just as soon as he blossomed in and he had those, you know, you see it with a lot of guys, not that he's quite grown up as big as like an Anthony Davis, but you see a lot of these guys that are have these growth spurts, they have to develop these other skills and then they add the size later and they've got such a versatile skill set that they can offer. Right, which makes me really excited for him because he can play guard and he's 6'6", which kind of reminds me of Spencer a little bit, but he has just massive athleticism and skill. 
it's hard to understand that at 3A because it looked, I mean, anyone could dominate 3A basketball in Colorado with any sort of competence that's going to play at the college level in D1. Uh, so you really don't have a barometer for it. But you talk to some of the people around Colorado high school basketball, whether that be Luke O'Brien, who, who's his peer. And begrudgingly, Luke would say that Dominique Clifford was a really, you know, was just as good as him, if not better, because Luke had that competitor side of him. You know, Luke and Dominique were battling for, you know, which one was the best player of the year in Mr. Colorado basketball. Um, but Clifford is really gotten some excitement from some people that I normally don't hear some excitement about until far later in guys' careers. So I already am thinking that this guy's an NBA player. Um, and I've heard that from three or four different people. Uh, so yeah, he's going to play right away. He's going to be someone to watch. Bartholomew is phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal talent. Don't know what he's going to bring this year to the floor. Uh, he is a hard worker, really hard worker. As soon as he came onto campus at the University of Colorado, he gained a ton of weight and strength and the good, the good kind of weight. Um, he had never worked out before and he's, he worked out a ton. Those were the initial reports. Hadn't heard much since, but uh, they're really, really high on Bartholomew. And uh, yeah, Bartholomew and Clifford are both guys that are going to play. Horn's going to play. I don't know if this, I don't think De Silva's going to play, but it's too soon to know. Uh, but I just want to make a note of that. That's how good the university of Colorado men's basketball program is at treating people, by the way, that, you had a player on our team, University of Men's Basketball, Colorado Men's Basketball team, do something that was not malicious but could have been taken as malicious and could have ended a guy's career. And it was really bad and it was really ugly. And thank God it ended up okay for, 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 for Oscar Da Silva, Tristan's older brother. But the way that was handled by Evan Batty, who's a first-class University of Colorado person, like A-tier, like S-tier, like, you know, it's like – you know, you, you talk about like Scott Carpenter and stuff. Like it's, it's like, it's Evan Batty's already on the Mount Rushmore of people that have gone to the university of Colorado and the way Evan Batty and Tad Boyle handled that situation was so well that their family knew that and the little brother committed to the university of Colorado. So hats off to the university of Colorado men's basketball program for knowing what I know, which is or for doing what I know them to be, which is they always do the right thing. They're always really good guys, whether or not their record on the floor always shows that, you know, people would debate and, you know, some people want to fire Tad, whatever. I know them as really good people. That's one of the reasons why I always try to have some of those people's backs, whether that might not be right or wrong as a journalist, I don't care morally. I, that's where I lie. Um, and then the last guy is Luke O'Brien, who I really like as a person as well. Don't sleep and, on him. I think he's a victim of committing early. You know, had he gone through the process because right. right when he committed was really when he was starting to blossom as a basketball player. And I, it's kind of unfortunate that he d doesn't get a star rating for two years as a result of just being in love with CU and wanting to end the recruiting process. He's probably the best shooter of the class from what I've seen. Um, and what I saw is him play Boulder in the playoffs. And a lot of people saw this tweet because it went somewhat viral within our little sphere, which was Tad Boyle's in the building. The entire men's basketball assistant coaching staff is basically in the building. It's at Boulder High School, right down the road from uh, CU Event Center. Pete Boyle's playing in what ended up being his final high school basketball game, uh, Tad's second eldest son. And they're watching uh, Riley Grabo, who's the head coach, university, or <laughs> head coach for Boulder High, who was a senior when I was a sophomore, 
and Tad recruited a ski booker over Riley Grabo. And Riley, who's a friend of mine, has always kind of held a grudge against Tad for that because he wanted to come to the University of Colorado. Instead, he ends up at Wyoming, and he beat University of Colorado every time they played each other, uh, which is why Tad wouldn't put Wyoming back onto the schedule. Um, so Riley really, really wanted to beat uh, the, the – Columbine because of this, even with, you know, kind of the fences mended and Pete playing for Riley. Um, anyway, Pete Boyle was a really solid high school basketball player. And I think he's going to Pomona Pitzer with uh, Jack Boyle. That's where he's going. Uh, Tad's eldest son goes to Pomona Pitzer. Uh, and they are going back and forth in the second half, Pete Boyle and Luke O'Brien. And Luke O'Brien's team at Columbine is doing some of the dumbest stuff I've seen a high school basketball team do that's got a really good player, which is they're all shooting the ball instead of getting it to Luke, who they're down by five, ten points. Just get the ball to Luke. Luke hasn't missed a shot. Luke's playing well. I think he scored every single point in the second half, second half if not the fourth quarter. Um, he had ten straight points in the last minute and a half of the game, including a game-winning three, and then he hit the clutch free throws to win the game by, like, two. It was phenomenal. He took over the game completely, and that's a really, really good sign. Whether or not, you know, he's going to be that guy in college, you know, probably not. But the fact that he has that in him as a competitor is, is something that I watched Tad Boyle's face as that happened. And Tad, as his son, is literally playing his last high school basketball game and about to start crying in the locker room. Tad's kind of got like that Tad Boyle smirk where it's like, like I love basketball like this. You know what I mean? And, and I think anyone, whether you're, you're rooting for Boulder like I always do because I'm a Boulder high guy, you, you, you recognize that. And I started rooting for Luke. And I, t I went up to Luke because I know Luke after the game. I'm like, I'm not going to lie to you. I got my Boulder High shirt. I was rooting for Boulder. And then I started rooting for you. Because it was that thing where, you know, when Tiger Woods was in the Masters, if you're rooting for Phil, all of a sudden Tiger Woods gets hot. And you start rooting for Tiger because you get behind the athlete. And that's kind of how I felt in that moment with Luke. Uh, so the fact that he has that in him is a really positive sign. The fact that he can shoot the ball in clutch situations is a positive sign. Um, but shooting the ball in a clutch situation from the high school three-point line and shooting the ball just consistently in college is a way different thing. And I think Luke is probably a guy that's going to redshirt next year, but he's going to be a guy that's really great to have in the program. And some people around the program are really high on his potential, but they know he's, he's got a lot of room to get there. His dad's really tall. He's really tall. I think he might even grow a little bit more. So I, I like Luke, but obviously I think, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about this class, uh, you know, this is going to be one of the better Tad Boyle classes, I think, but Dominique Clifford is by far the star of this class. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag because we got some more questions about the guys that are coming into the program. And so, some of these questions we've already touched on a little bit, so we can kind of move quickly through some of them. I think we will with this first one. Ugly Rat asked, has there been any chatter on why the team collapsed this year? In Sky Mode, Buff asked, has there been any word on what's happening behind the scenes when the team was falling apart? seems like something was off beyond what we saw on the court. You kind of talked, touched on this a little bit earlier. You said McKinley Wright was doing everything he could, uh, but we don't really know exactly how bad it got in the locker room, right? I mean, that's still kind of rumors at, at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's rumors, and it's, it's really hard for me to do reporting from my bed, like literally from my bed. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever know because of some of that heat's going to die down and there's no reason for guys to carry it. Um, so I, I, I couldn't tell you, I mean, I wish I could be a better reporter in this moment, but I, you know, it, it's just really hard for me to get scoops when, you know, you're not running into these people and kind of sidling them for conversations. 
I do know uh, that a lot of people are trying really hard to make sure the thing went right. I mean, there was no one was sitting there going, I want to lose these games. I, I'm malicious about it. Um, just maybe some of the attempts got crossed and some of the relationships got strained and that happens with a team and an atmosphere. But if you look at some of the pictures just behind the scenes and the body language of the players, um, those last two weeks on the court, there was obviously something wrong. Uh, and I'm not someone that reads a lot into body language, but it, it just, I mean, sometimes you have to, sometimes you watch a pitcher get lit up in the sixth inning and you just know now's the time to go to the bullpen. Like, that's just kind of how it felt with the buffs a little bit where it's just like, you know, I never bet against the buffs, but it started feeling like at the end of the season there, it's like, there's just no way this goes right. Like there's just, there's no way you kind of got that mindset you get with the football program sometimes where it's just like, there's no way this can work out positively. And you, you, that rarely happens with the basketball program, particularly when it's led by someone like McKinley, Wright. But there was something deep there that, that just wasn't meshing and, Maybe Tyler Bay leaving is, is, is going to be helpful. Uh, I, I'm not singling out Tyler Bay as a problem, but I do know from covering other athletes as they got to the point where they got close to the draft, um, that weighed heavy on them. And it became something where they could be selfish. And I'm not saying that was Tyler Bay, but I do know other athletes have gotten to that point. And uh, there's a possibility that, you know, it became about Tyler for Tyler rather than the team. And I'm not saying that that's what happened. I, w- I wouldn't accuse that of, of happening without the rumors, but I do know that that has happened with other CU athletes here very recently. Um, so that's a possibility. I mean, the girlfriend's thing is always a possibility. I mean, I just, we don't know. And, it, and I don't want to pinpoint it on anyone, but I will say I do know for a fact that McKinley Wright tried his ass off to make this thing right. And it just didn't work out for McKinley Wright. Um, and that I know that Tad Boyle needs to do something better, whether that's, bring in some kind of sports psychologist. I know they have some on CU staff or bring in another assistant coach or something because this is, again, the third time this has happened to a CU basketball team that had talent where they just fell apart and disintegrated. It just didn't happen as uh, late into a season and as much in flame as, as this one did. They should have put themselves in this position. McKinley Wright should have made the free throw, but the Utah game, I mean, that's one of the worst end of game calls I've seen McKinley Wright played perfect defense on that. Maybe that changes the vibe a little bit for them going out to Vegas. Um, And again, maybe if the the coronavirus pandemic isn't starting to take off at this point, maybe there's a different vibe going into that tournament. So, so some what ifs, you know, there as well. Yeah. But ultimately they put themselves in that position for this to happen. They took their destiny out of their own hands. And when that happens, things don't normally work out for you. And which is funny because everything had worked out for them that weekend going into the Utah game and they still messed it up. C. Barneen asked, will time away caused by COVID-19 help or hurt team chemistry? Did they need a break? Will they have time to incorporate the new players and find roles for everyone? You know, they might have needed a break, but again, if they go to the NCAA tournament, break that losing streak, win a game, you're riding momentum into the offseason, right? I mean, this situation is only negative because even if you go into the NCAA tournament and lose, at least you, you, you got that experience. And I, I wrote this in my what-if piece. You now have McKinley Wright going into his senior year NCAA tournament with no NCAA tournament experience whatsoever, which isn't going to be fun for him when he gets up to that stage. It's nothing like the NIT. It's nothing like, you know, one game against Kansas here or there. So uh, it would have been only positive. And at least you could hang your hat on, hey – we all went to Des Moines and Hey, maybe we got our ass kicked by Penn or whatever Penn, you know, Penn state or whatever, but 
at least we did it, you know, and, and, and they didn't do it. So, uh, it, the way it ended, it ended so negatively. And then you didn't even get the, the, the payoff of, okay, well, we still got the thing. They didn't get the thing that they all worked for. So I think there's a lot of feeling, uh, around CU men's basketball right now where it's like, whatever, like it didn't, none of this even mattered. Like we had the season that we needed to, we collapsed at the end. It gave us a sour taste. And then it was just left there. Um, you know, as for the time off, they were going to have this time off anyway. So what does it matter that they got this time off? Like they weren't going to be really practicing this time of year anyway. Um, well, the real this, issue, issue is if they, if this goes into late summer. Right. And that's the problem is if it goes into late summer because of they have more guys coming into the program this year than they've had since like three years or in, in like three years. Um, which is going to be a problem. Like they're going to have to incorporate a lot of guys. And I was going to say this when I talked about horn, it normally takes about half a season for a transfer to come in and really start to make his impact felt. Uh, and if he doesn't really have a summer practice or if the fall schedule gets changed in some way, which is really possible for big universities right now. Um, I, who knows? Like there's nobody that knows what's going to happen right now with the sports calendar but if this extends further, it's not going to have any positive effects on Colorado, and it certainly hasn't to this point. Nippus13 asked, which staff member do you believe has had the biggest effect in the uptick in recruiting this past recruiting session? So Tad Boyle is really big on team recruiting. This is not a, Coleman, you go out and get this guy because you've got connections there, and we're going to sit back. When they're on these Zoom calls with recruits, I mean, there's staff involvement from all the guys. And so I don't think there's one guy you really point to. It was a good recruiting class. It's not, you know, getting any national buzz. Uh, but I, I think it really was kind of the culmination of all those guys. I, from the time that I've been covering CU men's basketball with under Tad Boyle, it's always been about kind of that team effort. You talk, talk to a recruit, and he's got a relationship with all the different guys on the staff. I think Mike Rowan's gotten better as a recruiter from some of the things I've heard. Uh, and, you know, he's starting to get some acclaim. Anthony Coleman was a big win for this program, getting him here. And you look at what's happened with the recruiting since he's gotten here, and it just speaks for itself, whether they're in team recruiting or it's just him. Um, the results speak for themselves since he's gotten here. The, there's been a complete uptick. Um, and then I want to I talk about a guy that all Colorado Buffalo's basketball fans love, and that's Nate Tomlinson. Um, and I think he's taken a big role in trying to connect with the players on the team, kind of that like assistant coach, but you know, I was so close to being a player that I, I you know, I can relate to you guys and I can kind of convey some of these messages. Um, and, and Nate's got such a great basketball background from an international perspective. And Nate's got such a great perspective on life and such an affable guy uh, that it's really hard to dislike him. So if anyone comes across him, especially with the couple kids that they brought in and their backgrounds, I completely understand how the backgrounds of their kids, uh, of the kids they brought in, mesh up with the background of Nate Tomlinson, um, with Walker being a guy who has been, you know, the son of an NBA player who's gotten some international uh, experience, uh, his father, and, you know, uh, he's been in a prep guy. Like, Nate Tomlinson's lived a lot of those lives. Um, and you know, some of the international guys they've brought in certainly in the past few years. And I think De Silva's probably, you know, one of those guys uh, that Nate Tomlinson could help bring in. But one of the things that Nate's got 
which I think a lot of players look towards. You know, everyone dreams of going to the NBA, but the Buffs have done such a good job of making sure their guys go pro. Like, University of Colorado, almost all their grads at basketball go pro somewhere. And Nate's the example of that. Nate went pro and had a really solid career in Australia. And now he's back and he's working in college basketball and he's rising through the ranks. Nate's an example of what can happen if you go to the University of Colorado. And it just so happens that he's a really good guy. So uh, I would obviously say Coleman, but I, I really want to continue to credit Nate Tomlinson, especially with his outreach to the fans and his willingness to accept criticism and try to learn as such a young coach. Uh, Cause I think Nate's going to be somebody that we watch for. Uh, unfortunately, you know, one of those guys that I, I really think highly of too, that's been a tad assistant in the past was uh, Rodney Billups. Uh, it just so happens it hasn't really worked out thus far for him at Denver, but you know, it's not always the first time in your coaching career that it's going to work out. And, you know, Tad's coaching tree, it's not great yet, but you look at some of the things that John Prelo has done at San Jose state, turning what, turning it from basically the worst basketball program in division one to something that's respectable. Um, Tad's starting to develop a coaching tree. That's, that's, that's going to get some respect here, but it's going to take some time because of the guys that the university of Colorado men's basketball program has around Tad. Let's be honest, the resources just aren't there with Arizona. So they're competing at a different level there with the assistant coaches, but Tad's making the best of it. Just like he's developed his players with guys that are three-star recruits and two-star recruits, he's done the same with assistant coaches. And it just so happens that right now they've got a crop of guys in their staff that are doing a pretty good job. It just, the problem is they kind of blew up at the end of the season. They didn't have a Band-Aid for that one. LJ Buff asked, why has international recruiting been such a big miss? Alexander Strading was a miss. Jacob Dombach transferred. Lucas Seward was international, but he played high school in California. Lazar Nikolic left after one year. Thomas Akazili left early. Keenan Guzinich was a total miss from yeah. the Texas Junior College. Uh, Shane Harris-Tunks and Nate Tomlinson were both recruited by former head coach Jeff Buzdelk. Optimus Prime Buff also asked about international recruiting and the lack of success they've had at CU. Jake, I'll throw it to you this way. If Tristan Da Silva is a bust, is it maybe time to stop looking over to Europe? Well, I want to ask the question, is Alexander Strading been a bust? What did you expect? Because if you expected him to come in and be a solid piece, like he's been that, like he's not, he wasn't going to be a star for them. Granted, some people have said he's wasted his scholarship. And if Tyler Bay were coming back, it's pretty obvious who's coming out of the program, but he's been a solid contributor. Like he's been a solid guy. Like if that's your last scholarship and you're using it on that, it's better than some of the people they've had in the past. Like, that's really not that bad of a person to be using a scholarship. Um, as for Thomas Akiazili, I don't think that was a miss either. He just left the program early. He was a pretty good player for the University of Colorado. Uh, he was really slumping, though, before he left. It got yeah, pretty I mean, ugly before he left. He had a really bad 10 to 15 games before he left. He forgot how to shoot, but, I mean, he, he had a solid career here. It wasn't like something that you could just write off just because of his last 10 to 15 games. It'd be like saying George King had no career at Colorado because his second to last game he scored no points. Like, you can't just remember the, the, the ending part. And, and that's one of the things we can't remember just about this season is they reached a high and they had the ending that sucked, um, but they did reach that high. Um, so I don't want to say international recruiting has been an utter total misstep. Like a lot of people have tried to characterize it now. Has it been bad? Yeah. Like it's been bad. Um, and I don't think Tad Boyle's ever going to say no to looking at the international market because it'd be stupid to just shut off an entire part of the world and just say, no, we're not going to look there. We haven't had success there when there are 
6.7 billion people in the world that aren't in the United States. Like it's smart to continue to look in other places, even if it hasn't worked in the past, because one of them is going to work eventually. I don't know if De Silva's that guy, but it, it would be dumb to close your doors off to more opportunities uh, and more information and more opportunities. Uh, you might as well just continue to look down that route. Now, I know one of the questions that was asked was what's one of the problems is it, does Tad Boyle just look at the highlight tape? Not that much, but you know what? Tad Boyle does have to walk into gyms and offer guys more or less on the spot because he's competing with programs that have more resources and more ability to travel to these locations consistently than Tad does and more cachet and more name in their program than Tad does. Tad has to make bold decisions and act quickly. And he gets lucky sometimes. He offered George King a scholarship within five minutes of seeing George King. That worked out. Now, it's worked out the exact opposite way with some of the guys he's offered as well doing that. So uh, I think Tad's gotten better over the years at, at making those decisions and pinpointing guys, but it's impossible to judge a guy's character or how hard he's going to work, especially when they come from a completely different culture than you, when you've gotten maybe five hours of information on him between your whole reconnaissance and meeting him and talking to him and his whole family. So it, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Buff1290 asks, what newcomers will have the biggest impact next year? And along those lines, Jadelta27 asked, what are your expectations for this upcoming season? Do you see Bartholomew and McKinley getting minutes together, or is Bartholomew going to more run, run more as a backup point guard? Uh, I don't know who else the shooting guard would be. Uh, Gatling's gone. Kuntz is, is gone. Um, the, the plan from, from day one is for them – if unless McKinley right left early was for them to play together this right. year. And then for Bartholomew to get the keys after that and, and run the offense going forward. Bartholomew is going to get the chance Dominique Collier never had, which was, he was wanted to play with Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Bartholomew is going to get that chance to play with McKinley. Right. And uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear that he's kind of pegged as the, the day one starter there. Um you know, they've got some other options, but it would make the most amount of sense. And Dominique Clifford is another one of those options where he could play a couple different positions and make sense there. But both of those guys are going to be in the rotation. And, you know, Dalen Kuntz started day one last year. That didn't last for long. So for me to say a guy's going to start day one and it's such big acclaim, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, um, you know, I think both Bartholomew and Clifford will both start at some point next year. I don't know when or what time, but it'd be better if they're both starting at the end of the season because that would mean that they're progressing well rather than Dalen Kuntz who started at the start of the season. So, um, yeah, I think Bartholomew and McKinley Wright will make a backcourt duo. I know you also asked on the board, uh, was there any thought of taking away his red shirt? And the answer is no. There was no thought of that. Uh, I mean, I kind of suggested it a couple times saying, hey, they don't really have anyone that can handle the ball besides McKinley Wright they were never going to take away his red shirt, but that's going to be such a valuable thing because they really didn't have anyone that could handle the ball besides McKinley Wright last year and having Bartholomew and Clifford can handle the ball a little bit is going to be a big thing for them. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's both of those guys are going to be their biggest contributors. Horn's going to be asked to do the most because he has to fill in the most positions as both a wing and a, a forward slash center, whatever he's going to play. So you're going to notice Horn the most, but Clifford and Bartholomew are the biggest additions, especially if they're able to shoot. And in terms of expectations, just we'll go along with the assumption that McKinley Wright comes back. I have a feeling that 
the Pac-12 is going to be more competitive next year, but I still, I still would project CU as an NCAA tournament team, just not as much a surefire NCAA tournament team as I would have said going into the, to this past season. Yeah, I, I think with their out-of-conference schedule, the way it's shaped up uh, and the way the strength of schedule should be in the Pac-12 is their schedule is going to be great. Like their strength of schedule is going to be phenomenal. Um, I would say that they're going to probably be on the positive side of the bubble all year, but they're going to be closer to that bubble than they were this past year. They're going to be, you know, riding that 8-10 to 10 seed line most of the year, uh, which is not a comfortable spot to be. But, uh, yeah, I would expect them to make the NCAA tournament, uh, but, you know – could they beat anyone in the country next year? Like I felt like they could this past year if they played their best game. No, um, they're simply not going to beat teams that have two bigs that are seven foot tall that can really go at it. You know, I watched the Buffs get lucky basically one time with Dallas Walton beating. You know, who was that? Uh, Dusan Ristich and DeAndre Ayton. You know, like that's not going to happen consistently, and especially not away from your home floor. Like that's just not going to happen in a non-comp or, or, or neutral floor site or, uh, you know, away. So I don't know that the buffs can go to McHale center and win ever, to be honest, the way that thing's gone. But I definitely know that Mick Cronin's going to, going to murder the buffs anytime they run into them. Uh, because Mick Cronin runs a lot of the same principles at CU, but they have better athletes. Um, so they're principal discipline and they have better athletes. Um, you know, Oregon's always there, and Stanford, I think, is a team that's coming back up online. USC has gotten a lot better, though. You know, the way Tad Boyle's played against Andy Enfield, I always think that that's an upset possibility, no matter how well Andy's recruited there. So, you know, I, I think that this is an NCAA tournament team, but I'm not as confident in them as I have been in past years, uh, particularly this past year. Uh, and I think the key for the team as it was this past year is Deshaun Schwartz. Deshaun Schwartz, when he was good last year, the team was phenomenal. When he was bad last year, the team looked terrible. Um, and he's going to be relied on to do that this next year, but even more so. Uh, he's going to need to be, if not the leading scorer, the second leading scorer. He's going to need to score every night consistently. He's going to need to knock down his shots. He's going to need to play defense. He's the only guy on the team that has that athleticism at that height that can really do a lot of different things in terms of offense and defense, and we haven't seen it consistently yet from Deshaun. If we see it consistently, he's a guy who could be in the NBA. Like That's a six-foot-seven wing that can shoot. So uh, the whole season in my mind already today in May is going to come down to Deshaun Schwartz. EA Buff asked at this stage, what out of conference games have been scheduled outside of KU coming to Boulder? So they're, they're still finalizing the schedule, but we do know the Buffs are going to host Kansas. They're also going to host Colorado state and Pepperdine. They're set to play in a two game multi-team event in Fort Myers in November against either Wisconsin Butler and or South Florida. And then they're also playing TCU at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas in the Pac-12 Coast-to-Coast Challenge. And then this year is going to mark the change from 18 conference games to 20. And they're going to play Arizona on the road on December 2nd. Oh, great. Great. What a great game for them. And they're scheduled to host Washington State on December 5th. It's going to have kind of a weird feel that they're going to play a couple conference games early in the the schedule now with this this change of the 20-game schedule. And not have the pairing there either where they're going to Arizona and Arizona State, but, you know, doing one and one there. Uh, That's going to be a a throw off uh, for everyone as well a little bit. 
uh, the travel partners. Everyone loves the Pac-12 travel partners, right? Uh, <laughs> Buffs have gotten a lot of benefits out of that from the Utah-Colorado back-to-back. But, you know, I think that, it, I mean, no one's thinking about traveling or flying right now, but that trip to uh, Fort Myers in November seems kind of fun. Uh, a young Jake Shapiro once applied to Florida Gulf Coast because Andy Enfield's team made Dunk Fest cool. And uh, I didn't know that I was getting into CU. So I was like, hey, I might go hang out on the beach for a few years. So maybe I'll go hang out on the beach for four days instead of four years uh, in November. But yeah, I mean, obviously that Kansas game in Boulder is going to be the highlight of the schedule. Uh, but if they end up with Wisconsin or Butler and Fort Myers, that's going to be awesome. Hopefully it's not South Florida, which is weird to say out of Wisconsin, Butler, or South Florida, because South Florida is going to have a ton of fans there most likely. Um, and they get in a situation like they had in Chicago this year where they're playing Dayton on the road, even though it was Dayton on a neutral floor, which kind of sucks. Uh, I guess that would probably be the same case with Wisconsin because you know, the people from Wisconsin are going to travel to get out of the hell of Wisconsin winter. I love Wisconsin so much, but Wisconsin winter is hell. Um, yeah, and then TCU T-Mobile Arena. I think those T-Mobile games are so valuable to the team because they get one game there to warm up. And one of the things I recognize with Tad Boyle's schedule this past year, 2019-20, is that Tad basically lined up his schedule so that every single game he had in late February to March and leading into the tournament would be a repeat of a game that they had earlier so that they were repeating a scenario they had earlier in the season, whether they were playing at T-Mobile, whether they were playing, you know, on back-to-back nights, whether they were playing a blue blood program at a neutral floor, like basically everything Tad Boyle started doing with the schedule is not only just for, you know, the, the, the tiers or whatever it's called with the sections and the March Madness. I haven't, I haven't thought about college basketball in like a couple days here. So I forgot what those are called. Ask Tyler Ziskin, but the, the quadrants. Oh, the quadrants uh, where it's, they've got the quadrants. Correct. But, uh, but it, it's also a repeat of games where they're going to have those scenarios later on, which I think is so valuable for young guys to have where they go, okay, I've been in this arena or I've been in a situation like this. Uh, I have nothing to be scared of, uh, especially with a team that's going to have a bunch of guys new to division one, ba- or D- division one basketball at university of Colorado, uh, whether that's horn or Walker or, you know, Clifford or Bartholomew. So, yeah, I, I like this schedule a lot, the way it started to shape up. Uh, obviously, CSU in Boulder is a lot better than CSU in CSU because there's no benefit to that game. Here you feel like they're going to win it. Uh, Pepperdine's a pretty solid op- opponent to have always. Uh, those are solid games. Uh, but, yeah, this, this seems to be a pretty meaty schedule, uh, and I, I look forward to watching, uh, you know, someone hit a half quarter against Kansas again. So that, that's always a fun one. I got to get going. We did get a question. Buff1290 asked, what's your way too early Pac-12 power rankings? Jake, you mentioned Mick Cronin earlier. Would you go UCLA, Oregon? What, who would you have at the top if you were uh, making a prediction right now? I, I actually texted someone today. Uh, uh, sports betting is legal in Colorado. I don't know if we're sponsored yet by a uh, gambling book, but I'm sure that's going to happen. So submit sponsor here, Adam. Uh, uh, give me UCLA, uh, whatever the odds are, just put my money on UCLA, uh, put my money against Colorado on UCLA when those two match up for whatever that spread's going to be. I've got Mick Cronin winning everything. Like what he did with that team, that turnaround this year is so impressive. Now that he's got a core and in, in, in a, the philosophies in place and he's brought in some recruits and I think Shaq's son is, is going to be healthy and back. Like he's got some really good guys to play there. Uh, you know, I, I just saw it. I saw it twice. I was in LA for that game. I was in Boulder for the game. Uh, 
I don't know that anyone's losing to UCLA like that in an important game, maybe at McHale Center, yeah. But Mick Cronin, uh, I think, is already the best coach in, in the Pac-12. More DM21 was asking about 2021 recruiting. I had a list of notable targets in a recent Buff Stampede bits piece, and I'll be up, updating that info, info as we go. Uh, try to keep some, some of the recruiting scoop for our paying subscribers. Jake, I do have to run, but it was uh, great to talk a little CU basketball with you. Keep hanging in there. Uh, keep, keep trying with the facial hair. Maybe it'll connect one of these days. Are you quite literally going for a run right now? No, I'm, I'm hungry. I got to make sure that oh. my daughter upstairs. Cause you quite literally go for runs. Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 I haven't done anything physical in terms of exercise besides sunbathe in two months. So, well, you've also got that young man's metabolism. If I had that, I probably would be sitting on the couch playing video games all day as well. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think the amount of steps I do in Vegas always just sets me back. Like I always do like, I, I think the last two times in, I've been in Vegas, I've done over a marathon of steps in like three days. So, uh, I mean, I was, ch- I was chasing Chase Hall from, from just different casino to different casino floor trying to catch up. It was hard. His first time in Vegas, man. I was trying to keep that kid on a rope. I could not. All right, Jake. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. And we'll be back with another Buff Stampede Radio. Maybe get back into some football talk. We're going to do some CU Sports Jeopardy shows. So trying to make the best of the situation again. Thanks for tuning in.